BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today we're talking about the power of co-regulation. Joining me is Dr. Claudia Gold. Dr. Gold has written four books. She most recently wrote, co-wrote The Power of Discord with Dr. Ed Tronic, who was recently on this podcast. She's also written The Developmental Science of Early Childhood, The Silenced Child, and Keeping Your Child in Mind. Dr. Gold is on faculty of the Infant Parent Mental Health Fellowship Program at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, the Brazelton Institute at Boston Children's Hospital, and the Berkshire Psychoanalytic Institute. I am so excited to have this conversation with her because we talk so much about how to raise children who have self-regulation skills, how highly associated that is with resilience, and really in order to be a person who can self-regulate, we need to be able to co-regulate. We need to have experienced that ongoing interaction with our parents. And so we're diving into that today. And if you enjoy this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. And if you're up for it, write a little review. It really makes me happy to see how everyone's responding and enjoying these episodes. And of course, DM me on at Raising Good Humans podcast to let me know any feedback or questions that you have that I can put in the listener Q&A. Well, I think that a way to see discord is as a kind of a space in which a child, whether it's a newborn or a teenager, is able to grow. So it's really essential uh, to have that because if you are always perfectly available and attuned to your child, actually, no matter what age they are, it's just more dramatic at certain developmental stages, then you may get in the way of their emerging sense of self. So that's kind of the, an overarching theme of the book across development. And can you talk us through what attunement looks like? Because we talk about attunement all the time in, in child development, but I'm afraid that the downside of talking about attunement is this fear that mm-hmm. attunement, that the, the moments without attunement are toxic moments. So I just mm-hmm. thought it would be a great place to kind of cover what is attunement in infancy, in toddlerhood, in childhood, in adolescence? All right. So it's kind of a myth, actually. So people have this kind of idealized notion 
of what relationships are between parents and children. Um, and a lot of that is based in the kind of language we use, serve in return. When you analyze, micro-analyze, moment-to-moment interaction between an infant and a parent, you see that, that is, there, there isn't attunement. It's kind of uh, um, not, and, and why that is, is what I alluded to at the very beginning, is that the misattunement itself is part of healthy development. We talk about in the book, the sort of picture of Madonna and child and these ideas of, of Fred and Ginger dancing together. And there's this kind of propagated story yeah. of this uh, perfect attunement, which is a myth. And so um, I, I would say that attunement that you asked about, is it doesn't exist. In, in fact, what happens, as we know, if we sort of slow down our parenting moments is that there are always times you know, where we're nursing our baby and we have to get up to answer the door or, you know, some, some, uh, something we're worried about at work or in another relationship temporarily preoccupies us so that we are not connected with our, our child. So th- these things are very normal, healthy, typical experiences in relationships. And it's not the exception, right? It's right. actually consistent and constant. <laughs> yeah. A- a- and, and it's actually healthy and it's, it's, it's necessary. Thinking through like a teenager who's sitting next to you and really yeah. needs you in that moment because they're going through something, but you also are worried about the election or you're thinking about all the things that you have to do. Is there in that kind of mismatch where it's not like you're, you're not butting heads or anything. You're just mm-hmm. not in that like beautiful attuned presence. Right. Is there something that we can say to ourselves or a practice to figure out the space between being available to our kids, but also being available to ourselves so that we can ultimately have that connection. Well, so that's a great example. So let's think about your teen. So there will be times where your teen feels kind of together and they're having a good moment and you're distracted and that's fine. But then there are going to be times where your teen is is feeling stressed, had an argument with a friend, or hasn't had enough sleep, or uh, is dealing with online learning, you know, and and is not feeling well regulated. And at that moment, when you, as the parent, also are not well regulated, and are distracted that can be where you get into a situation of potentially unrepaired mismatch, which are problems where both of you in the pair are not regulated enough to connect. Right. So that's where what we can do as parents, that's where we get into sort of butting heads with our teenagers where we're, we're like treating them as equal. And believe me, I have done this. Now my children are young adults, but certainly have very vivid memories of getting into these very ugly battles that feel like they're going nowhere. And if you can take a moment to pause and breathe and reflect, you can see that it's because you're meeting their dysregulation with your own dysregulation. And they need you in that moment to be more present with them, to help them to get organized. So that's a a very concrete application of these more theoretical ideas. Yeah. 
I, I love being able to do that because I think sometimes these theoretical ideas get overwhelming or they sound yeah. too hard to put from page to stage. So yeah. it's really helpful to think of it in these real life terms. So if your child is dysregulated and you meet that with your own dysregulation, that's when that pause is so valuable so that you can get yourself back to being open and available. Right. Because a lot of it, the way a child develops is in this, it's messy and there are mismatches, but it's this kind of moment to moment co-regulation. So if there's no repair, which is what happens when the parent is overwhelmed by a whole bunch of things, be it depression, uh, the, the stress of caring for multiple young children, of course, now COVID being home and all sorts of things can stress a parent out to the point where it's very hard for them to be available. And, and that's when you can get this kind of unrepaired mismatch. And then that's where doing something for a parent to enable them to take care of themselves, to be able to be more present to co-regulate their child. What is Peanut? The app connects you with like-minded women throughout all stages of motherhood. Peanut provides a safe space for mothers, expectant mothers, and those trying to conceive to build friendships, ask questions, and find support. Introducing you to women nearby who are at a similar stage in life, Peanut provides access to a community of women who are there to listen, to share information, and offer valuable advice. Whether it's understanding IVF, adoption, pregnancy, the first years, or nursery and beyond, Peanut is a place to connect with women like you. In this time, especially during this pandemic, but in general, the modern time is a time of tremendous isolation for new parents. So if you've struggled to meet friends or need advice from sister moms, this is a great app for moms and moms-to-be. In general, when we first have kids, it can be really lonely. Finding your community, finding your sister moms is a beautiful thing. So download the app for free today. You can head to peanut.app.link slash raising good humans or find it on your app store. That's P-E-A-N-U-T dot app dot link slash raising good humans. Hey guys, I'm Kinsey from the I Love You So Much podcast. On my show, we talk about everything, lifestyle, business, finance, beauty, you name it. My favorite part about the show is the amazing guests that we bring on. We have everyone ranging from like business experts to influencers, CEOs, creative masterminds. It's so much fun. If you guys want to find me on Instagram and it's just at Kinsey Elizabeth, I release new episodes every Thursday. So hope to see you there. Okay. So you mentioned co-regulation a couple of times. And I think because people talk about self-regulation so much that co-regulation doesn't have as much of a, it's not as popular in, right. the, in the world, even though of course everything is co-regulation. So yes. let's talk about co-regulation because it's not just for parents of infants. We're forever co-regulating. What is co-regulation? Yeah. Well, it, it's that w- the way we make sense, we are social beings and, and we need to have a sense that we belong. And, and the way we do that is by navigating in interactions with, with other people, particularly people we care about. 
so self-regulation emerges is a developmental relational process. And I think that that's the piece that sometimes gets lost when you read about self-regulation and this is what you need to do, that, that to get to self-regulation is a developmental process of co-regulation in relationships across time. So the development piece of it is as important as the relationship piece of it. So it starts okay. in early infancy and then co-regulation looks different when you're a toddler and when you're in school and when you're a teenager. So breaking that down, what does co-regulation look like when you have an infant and mm-hmm. when you have a toddler? I'll prompt you again with each mm-hmm. age, but I think um, talking through what it looks like when there's mm-hmm. maybe a baby who's crying about some some discomfort. What does co-regulation look like there versus a tantruming toddler versus? Sure. Um, well, I have a wonderful colleague uh, in uh, Scotland, Suzanne Zedek, who's a developmental psychologist and does sort of try similar work to what we do here in the U.S., although I have to say she's much more successful in terms of affecting public policy based on science. <laughs> um, there. Um, because all of this really points us to needing to support parents and infants. But, um, but she has this wonderful video of a mom changing what she calls a baby's nappy. So this is something that happens many times a day. It's a relatively unpleasant experience generally for a baby because they have to be undressed and then you touch them with the wipe and then your face may disappear as you go get something. And all the while, there's this kind of, you're you're using your voice, the tone and rhythm of your voice to hold the baby through these kinds of messy moments where you touch them with the wipe and it's unpleasant. And that happens all day long, all the time. And that's co-regulation in infancy. Now, uh, what co-regulation would look like in a toddler, you know, is, is kind of, a parent able to make meaning of their child's out of control behavior, not as something to be disciplined or punished, but rather as something that they need help with. So it would mean being able to set limits. I mean, I think uh, people, people often think of this as being kind of indulgent, but, but co-regulation has a, a quality of, of limit setting in it when it gets to toddlerhood and, and, uh, so being available, but yet not squashing a tantrum, those are an example of a parent being uh, co-regulating with their child. And actually, I want to keep going with this particular one because you're absolutely right. Sometimes if people do hear co-regulation or being sensitive to your child's needs, they don't think of the boundaries and limits. But co-regulation doesn't mean that your very dysregulated toddler needs to have you fix that feeling, but just that it doesn't dysregulate you. So you can sit there and support them through the discomfort that they're feeling, which is a limit because the permissive thing to do, I guess, would be to say you're upset because you really wanted to play with that knife. And so here's the knife or whatever. Yeah, not a good idea. (laughs) Here's the cookie. And and so that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about just um, your physiology is matching or not matching, trying to to downregulate what's... Exactly not matching. So this is the core of empathy. And and another great colleague who I was with this past weekend virtually... (laughs) 
teaching in the infant mental health program, Peter Fonagy, he talks about how, you know, when your child is crying, you want them to see that you get their feeling, but that it's not your feeling. Yeah. So, like, it's not like you're going to start crying and screaming right. along with them, but yet you, so, so you sort of meet what he calls it marked mirroring. So you're acknowledging it, that, that not having the red sippy cup is a total and complete disaster for your toddler. You get that, but you don't feel upset about that. And you know that we'll get the green one and everything will be okay. And you will survive this moment of disruption. And you convey that in, in your body and in your voice that you will be able to contain. I think containing is a very important part of it. You're uh, Dr. Tronic uses the word scaffold, but contain your toddler's very big feelings that, and again, in a developmental process, they're learning how to name and manage as they get older. I'm so glad that you said that just because it, I think the the color of the sippy cup is a perfect example that yeah. feels so big. And just because you can acknowledge that it feels so big for your toddler doesn't mean that it has to then disrupt your regulation and put you into a state where you're over-empathizing. Yeah, um, exactly. Over-empathizing. Yeah. So yeah. the compassionate part of you is taking care of your child, but you're not becoming, their feeling is not your feeling. Yeah. So there is co-regulation, which leads to a child who's able to self-regulate to exactly. the extent that humans can self-regulate. Yes, Exactly. So now um, a school-age child, because I, I think it does start to get more, I feel like with infants and toddlers, it's easier to know that they're, dis, they're dysregulated over something like the sippy cup being the wrong color, or it mm-hmm. doesn't feel comfortable having somebody hold your legs up like a chicken and wipe you with a, you know, a cool wipe. So those feel very much like, okay, but as an adult, I know my child is okay. And so I can separate that and co-regulate and take a deep breath and, and let them go through their feelings while having a regulated parent. But with school-age children when, um, or adolescents, when their problems and pain become things that we remember experiencing, hmm. what can parents do to empathize, but then pull back enough to co-regulate instead of just joining your child in the pain and sorrow of being bullied or having an argument with a friend or a romantic, romantic sorrow of a, of a in love adolescent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are great questions. And, and actually it, it leads me back to my, my first book, which was called keeping your child in mind, which was this frame, this developmental frame that takes you through every age. And I think, yeah, the social traumas of school age children are very painful, um, especially well, they're different in boys and girls, I think. Uh, they can be very more dramatic in girls. And especially if we can, uh, you know, as moms, I'm just going to talk about girls and moms in a, it, it, for a little bit here. Two daughters, um, so oh. uh, that works for me. <laughs> um, yeah, that when they are like excluded or are excluding or all those very difficult dynamics that are inevitable. And again, this is how kids learn. You know, they need to mess up and they need to navigate that. But there's this feeling because you empathize and feel their pain that you just want to fix it. And that's the so-called helicopter parent. And that really doesn't do your child any favors. So what they need, what co-regulation looks like there is that you, again, provide 
a, a secure, safe a sense of safety that you're you know they're going to get through this, and a kind of uh, confidence in your child mm. that they have the abilities because you've been doing with this that this with them since they were newborns. You've been giving them this ability to reflect on their own feelings and to think about other people's feelings and to be in relation with other people. So, so when you don't swoop in and take over, you let them, you know, fumble around, but let them know that you care about them and that you're present with them um, is more helpful than, you know, like calling the kid's friend and, and, and chewing them out for not inviting your child to their kid's sleepover which it happens all the time, you know. Happens all the time. Exactly. And we don't really know what's going on between them and they know better than we do. You know, obviously within reason, if there's you know, cyberbullying, I mean, you have to pay attention because bad things do go on. But, but in the sort of typical messiness of, of social interaction, it is helpful for their sense of agency to let them you know, figure it out themselves. You want to have open line of communication with your child and not squash them so that they come and they tell you what's going on. Um, And then, you know, I think you have to, yeah, you have to trust your instincts, you know, and also look uh, at at the way your child is behaving. Because if your child is withdrawn or not doing their work or not sleeping, you know, is showing you, communicating to you that they're really suffering you know, then, then you need to be more involved. Often we do this with very young children, but even through, you know, through life that people communicate their feelings through their behavior. So paying attention to those things and what those things are communicating is useful. And it's easier to pay attention to the behaviors when you're again, able to step back and really observe your calm and you don't freak out, you know, because, uh, yeah, if your your child comes home and says, oh, this person was, ta-, you know, does something that's very provocative and frightening for you, then there's a, a tendency to kind of become overwhelmed with fear yourself. And then it's hard to think clearly. So paying attention to that in yourself. Purple reinvented the mattress and pillow for adults, and now they're finally doing the same for kids. That's right. Purple has designed mattresses and pillows specifically with kids in mind. Kids absolutely need great sleep. So Purple launched a new collection of products just for kids, including a kid mattress, purple kid pillow, mattress protector, and a sheet set in kid-friendly colors. Both the Kid Mattress and Purple Kid Pillow are made with a softer, smaller version of Purple's innovative comfort grid to offer the best support for small sleepers. From the mattress to the sheets, all kids' Purple products were designed to give kids the comfort and durability they deserve, with plenty of fun mixed in. And the Purple Kid Mattress and Pillow are sturdy, pure, U.S. and clean air gold certified. And that means you can rest easy because there are no harmful chemicals. Your kids deserve the best and your kids deserve purple. Right now you'll get 10% off any order of $200 or more. Just go to purple.com slash humans and use the promo code humans. That's purple.com slash humans, promo code humans for 10% off orders of $200 or more. Purple.com slash humans, promo code humans. Terms apply. 
While the holidays may look a little different this year, the season of giving is about to be in full swing. So listen close if you have a child, grandchild, niece, nephew, or little cousin on your holiday list. If you think it's impossible to get a kid to put down cell phones or video games or do something that's good for their brain, it's totally possible. So we're going to talk about KiwiCo. KiwiCo delivers hands-on science and art projects for kids of all ages, everything needed to spark curiosity and kindle creative thinking, which makes KiwiCo the perfect gift. And with KiwiCo, kids can engineer a walking robot, design a paint pendulum, conduct bubbling chemistry experiments, and more, all from the comfort of home. And you know, it really does go up through teenagers because my kids got an engineering project and just the idea that they could build something start to finish at a time when there's just not all that much to do is pretty cool. So your child from ages zero to 16 can get super cool hands-on science, art, and geography projects delivered to your door every month. They might not be able to go anywhere right now, but they could definitely get a theme of an experience. And unboxing the crate is fun and exciting, especially for younger kids. But honestly, who doesn't like to open up a little present? And everything you need is inside. So there's no extra dealing. There's absolutely nothing. Just start to finish is all in there. And I know that that's particularly appealing right now when parents are totally overwhelmed. And there are different crates for kids of all ages. So there's something for every kid on your list. And you can start a new holiday tradition with KiwiCo. Plus, there's no commitment, so you can pause or cancel at any time. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Plus, you get 50% off your first month and free shipping on any crate line with the code HUMANS. H-U-M-A-N-S at KiwiCo.com. That is 50% off your first month at KiwiCo.com with using the promo code HUMANS. So then at the core of this is both, so there are two messages. One is that the Discord, there's growth in Discord, Mm -hmm. but Discord doesn't mean dysregulation. Right. That's a good way of putting it. The, the, the discord is that you are not on the same page with each other in a natural, healthy way. And then when you work through that, you grow and change and you, you're able to be close together with closer with people and you develop a sense of resilience. So discord, yes, is different from dysregulation. And, and it's going through moments of discord that builds the capacity for self-regulation. I guess what I what I want to ask is how does moving through your relationship with your parents that way influence your adult relationships and also is there a way that parents in engaging in their own discord and repair partners or even co-parents who are not together that influences how kids ultimately learn to co-regulate yeah, well, there's. I'll, I'll answer your second question first, which is that in a family where there is discord in a couple that the kids see, but that the parents are able to get to repair, that's a, a healthy model for them to see that relationships are not always smooth, 
but that people can work through their differences to reconnect. Uh, so don't go. That, don't say we're taking this in the other room and not. Well, maybe. <laughs> Tell. Whatever room you're in, the kids will know <laughs> So whether you're prepared or not. Uh, so, Good point. <laughs> but the point is that you have in order for it to be healthy, you do have to repair and they'll tell because the whole mood of the house will change. That's such a good point. It's like you, you don't actually need to explicitly say we had an argument and now look, we've repaired. It's, yeah. it's they'll know. obvious in everybody's body. Yes, exactly. Um, but so how, like, let's say you had an experience as a child that was not that, where your parents, there was often unrepaired conflict. And so that leaves you with a, a tremendous amount of anxiety about somebody not being attuned with you. Um, we have an example of that in the book, which is something that's just so incredibly common, where uh, one person in the partnership has a story that's sort of of emotional importance to them. Let's say that's the person who in their childhood often felt unheard and often had unrepaired mismatch. So if their partner does something totally unwitting, like look at a piece of mail or look at their phone for a second, that it can cause you to become very completely dysregulated (laughs) rather than, oh, well, that's kind of annoying, you know? So so little things, if you haven't had that experience of co-regulation and, and working through discord, either in yourself or in your childhood, you're more susceptible to becoming completely disorganized when your partner unwittingly is, is unavailable to you for a moment. And so at that point, coming to terms with kind of how you experience co-regulation will help in those moments where maybe you're overvaluing that interaction or over, I don't want to say overly sensitive because. Well, it is a little bit overly sensitive, like reactive. I mean, I think it's being reactive rather than reflective. Like you just, you react in the moment, you may, you know, scream at them, throw something, storm out the door. You know, it ends up in some big explosion that's way beyond the actual event. And, and so, and, you know, and there's no like sort of specific recipe to, to undo that, except for it, it gets back to what we talked about earlier about it, it happens in your body. So something, you know, in the example that we, one of the examples we have in the book is, you know, you go for a walk. I mean, everybody has the experience that when you go for a walk, inevitably that sort of left, right movement of your body allows your brain to become more organized. So when you get flooded in that kind of a reactive way, the way for the couple to grow through that is to recognize it. Okay, we're in a bad moment. We need to regroup and try to reconnect. And and everybody has a different way of doing that. Some people listen to music, go for a run, take a bath, you know, go, you know, have cooked dinner. I some something that you feel calms you so that then you can return to repair that, that rupture because that reaction comes from accumulated unrepaired ruptures. So you need to work harder and, and find a way to get your body calm enough to be able to reconnect. And so ideally with children, we, we notice the ways that they over time regulate. Like we notice the way we, what we need 
in order to regulate so that we don't have to wonder what is it that I need right now to make me feel better? Is there like, I mean, that's, I feel like that's a whole other thing, but just thinking about as you're, you know, as you're interacting with your kids and co-regulating that, that in some ways we're sharing tools verbally or non-verbally again, back to the body that let us know what feel, what do I need right now? What feels good for me right now to downregulate? Right. And that leads to a whole other subject, which is that every child has different innate capacities for self-regulation. Oh, yes. Some kids are extremely sensitive. I mean, this is something that I write about a lot is uh, and and I appreciate as a pediatrician, the parent who says to me, he's he's been like this since birth. So I'm working with a delightful little girl who who the the nurses, she's about uh, 18 months. And the, the moment she was born, the nurses described her as fiery, you know, and, and they, they see lots of babies. So they, they can, when, if they say that, you That's know, a fiery baby. yeah. So, so kids are very different in their responsivity. And then they have, they also, if you pay attention to that as a parent, you can support a kid in finding their own, what you call tools, you know, so some kids uh, who are, are very attuned and sensitive to their environment gravitate towards music. And then they, if you notice that about them and make that something that's available to them, then they can make use of it in a more purposeful way when they feel overwhelmed or dance or movement or whatever they do, something in their body that, you know, sometimes kids just like love throwing themselves against big pillows. And, and so if you notice that your child really likes that kind of feeling, I'm trying to think, I was also speaking with someone whose child is under experiencing tremendous stress and trauma, but that, that actually lying on a pillow on top of him, not, not in any way hurting him, but giving him that very containing feeling was very helpful to him. Um, and, and other kids actually don't like that at all. And they don't like to be held. And, you know, so b- paying attention to what your child's unique ways of comforting themselves are, it can be also another dimension of all of this. And that's so wonderful because when you, as we're watching our kids and learning about them, you can see what kind, how they do respond to their environment, what their unique nervous system looks like. We actually just talked last week about highly sensitive kids. And if you find that you do go into a dysregulated state when you see your child in distress, as I said that, I just took a deep breath. (laughs) So I might've answered the question. Mm -hmm. Is what, as a practice for parents who are new to the idea that regulating themselves versus being completely immersed in the emotional experience of their child. Mm -hmm. What's something to just tell yourself to practice? Well, first of all, that that's okay to give yourself permission to not to lose your cool. You know, obviously as long as you don't yell at your child or hit your child um, that you will have those moments And, and, uh, and not to get into a downward spiral of guilt and blame, but rather to say, okay, we're two people in a relationship and we each have a role to play and your child may be, you know, doing something that feels like it's to drive you crazy and each of you are affecting the other. And you want to say that's that's valid and that's real and that's what's happening, but you want to try to shift the interaction 
from one where you're dysregulating each other and you want to be able to, what happens is if you can breathe, pause, whatever it is that you do to be able to be, I'm going to use a word that, that I've used a little bit, but to be able to be reflective rather than reactive so that you're going to, you just give yourself enough space as the adult in the interaction to say, Hmm, what's this about? And that breath or whatever you do to allow you to be reflective rather than reactive is what will let your interaction move from mutual dysregulation to mutual, another word for co-regulation, mutual regulation, where you're each affecting each other in a more positive way. And if you do find that you blew it, like blew your lid or Mm -hmm. screamed at your child and you've just been, you're, spiraling into shame because you just lost it at your child. And I'm not talking about hitting or anything like that, but just Mm -hmm. a parent who just blew a fuse. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that the right saying? (laughs) How do you go about repair after something like that? Yeah, I'm glad you used the word shame because I, I said guilt and blame, but shame is a much stronger word. And often, especially depending on what your own early experience, life experience is, if you were shamed, you know, and then you find yourself yelling at your child and you feel like, oh my gosh, did I do that to my child? And that's a very dark feeling. So I think recognizing that, that you can, again, the pause to, to be reflective. Oh, that's why I'm feeling so bad. Um, because then when you can reflect on it, you can repair it. And then your child will learn. I mean, we're all going to do that. If you say, well, I'm really sorry that that just, you know, pushed my buttons and, and now I, I'm, and you apologize to them. And you say, well, well, let's find a different way around that. Again, along with setting limits, uh, not not misinterpreting that as being a permissive or indulgent parent. Then that that again, just like the parents fighting and repairing that, when you do that with your child, that really helps them to grow in a healthy way. Thank you for listening, and have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>